I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Hello and welcome to the Cats by 90 podcast on election night in the United States of America. It's about 8.30 p.m. on Tuesday, November 3rd, a monumental day for our country and really the world as a whole. So I'm sure everyone's going to be kind of glued to the TV seeing what happens. But we're going to talk some Kentucky sports. Big Blue Drew here. Aaron Gershon's on with me. Um, What's up, Aaron? Not much, man. I mean, let's just say no politics here. All I'll say is no matter what happens, the sun will be up tomorrow. We're all lucky to live in this country and be alive. That's that's all that matters to me, man. 100%. I'm going to try my best to not discuss the election, but I did have one thing that I wanted to ask you in regards to the election. And I'm just curious. Uh, first, is this your first presidential election as a, um adult? Yeah, well, yes, I missed it by – I guess I missed the 16 by – couple months, I would have been 17 turning 18 that March. Gotcha. Well, I would obviously never ask you who you voted for, but I'm just curious, like, what the process was. Like, so Aaron's a student at Kentucky um, from Connecticut. So are you uh, – you're still, I guess, a Connecticut resident, right? Yeah, that's right. So I voted. And I've been voting, just not in, obviously, the presidential elections yet. So all by absentee ballot. Um, that's just been my normal routine. So the mail-in process was nothing new to me. Gotcha. I assume so. I mean, I assume that the student, you don't, you know, unless you're planning on staying, you don't, you know, mess with any of that stuff. But um, my last question around the election, we'll move on. How ready are you for this to be over? Uh, is it over now? <laughs> We're getting there. I just hate that we have to, I mean, obviously you don't want people to go out and, you know, vote if they're not comfortable in person this year with everything going on. But my, you can hear my dog. I need Barkley to calm down back there. I know the Giants lost a really tough one last night. Uh, yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, they lost. I really needed that two-point conversion. I hate to interrupt oh, you, but it killed me. I hated – yeah, that one broke my heart. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, I'm just so ready for it to be over. That's all that matters to me. Like I said, we're all going to wake up tomorrow, Thursday, whenever they figure this thing out. Uh, we're going to be alive. We're going to have a lot of life to live, and we should all be thankful for that. Yep, and my last uh, piece on this I'll say is, is my biggest kind of fear for – the last few months, and st- I still have this fear, is that if thing could get litigated and drag on for months. Um, so I'm hoping that's not the case. I really am. I'm going to cross my fingers. I've even heard some people say maybe as early as tonight, super late tonight, early in the morning, we could um, kind of have uh, some type of, you know, essential, maybe not official official, but a winner declared. So let's hope so. November 3rd, huge night. Hopefully we got out a chance to vote and we can all kind of start moving past this regardless of uh, which way it goes. But Right. Man, I, um, to keep things on a positive note, I think it's very important that we start with basketball this week, Aaron. <laughs> no doubt. So we're going to hit some basketball. So um, Aaron and I were at the football game. We, we had to, um, you know, check all that out. So we'll, we'll talk about that stuff, kind of the sights and sound from Kroger Field on Saturday and look ahead uh, with the bye week and stuff. But first, man, just tons and tons of movement and, mo- and news in basketball this week. So 
I'm just going to kind of fire off some topics, man, and we'll, and we'll, um, we'll kind of let it, the listeners know what we think. But first off, uh, very expected but still exciting, um, the official announcement of Jay Lucas kind of moving into that, um, you know, on-court role, swapping with Tony Barbie. So um, I doubt that really surprised you much, Aaron, um, you know, knowing that he was coming here to recruit. But kind of what were your thoughts, I guess, when you, you heard the official announcement that Jay Lucas was um, kind of swapping roles there? Yeah, I wasn't – again, I, I was – I guess I was a little surprised it went – that happened so quick. But, yeah, you kind of knew – you knew as soon as they hired him what they hired him for. Uh, obviously, he's already gotten the job done with one of the headlines we'll talk about with Damian Collins uh, with one of their big guy, uh, targets for next season. So, yeah, I wasn't wasn't all that surprised. I think it was more uh, paperwork, you know, type of steal. But, uh, you know, like I said, I, I, I Kenny Payne was such a huge part of the staff, but – if you're going to replace him with anybody, uh, Jay Lucas is as good as the next man up as you can get. Yeah, everything right now is just all the buzz for Kentucky recruiting, just having the swag back, like all that stuff. And I got to be honest, Aaron, like I'm starting to see some of these pictures and stuff come out from these practices and things. And it looks really weird to see like Bruiser Flint and, and Jay Lucas just in there coaching. Like it just kind of seems like there's a void there. And like definitely starting to get the feeling now that um, kind of been a a change, you know, kind of a bit of a changeover. It almost feels like, you know, this is like a new chapter of the Calipari era. So I'm excited for it. I do though. And again, anybody you, you know right now in the recruiting circle is just raving about Jay Lucas and just what he's going to bring to Kentucky, what he already has brought to Kentucky. And we're kind of, um, I guess that's a good transition. So obviously Damian Collins wasn't a surprise on Saturday, which to me makes, you know, all that even more impressive. Um, and if you don't know this, so Damian Collins was a, a Texas, a, you know, a big Texas, Oklahoma kind of out there looking at, at those type of schools because he is from Texas. He plays basketball in Atlanta, Texas. And then, man, Jay Lucas moves over from Texas to Kentucky. I mean, pretty much instantly, you know, not only does he become on Kentucky's radar, but it's pretty much like he's coming. That's what's happening. And um, seven five wingspan, that kid reports, Aaron, Damian Collins. Yeah, the picture is ridiculous of his uh, his wingspan and how long his arms are. But yeah, I mean, I think we touched on it last uh, last week on the pod. It was uh, last uh, recruiting cycle, the 2020 class, which still ended up, I think, consensus number one, which is just how it goes around here. Um, Kentucky still struggled with that front court, and it wasn't until they were able to land uh, Olivier Saar off the transfer market that they kind of solidified that gap. And obviously, we've heard a lot of positive. Um, stuff on Isaiah Jackson and that was kind of their big recruiting yet but this year they have wasted no time uh with the front court obviously Jay Lucas it seemed like he, that Damian Collins would have been going it would have been at Texas right now if Jay Lucas was at Texas and then all the momentum uh went to UK when Lucas took the job here and obviously the commitment's a done deal so yeah you get a six what is he six nine six ten with a freakishly long wingspan you already have uh, Hopkins, who's a forward at six seven, probably a four. So it, right off the bat, you're getting the front court pieces, and you already know Kentucky usually does pretty well at getting the back court guys. So now uh, your attention probably, I would think it's the Har JJ Hardys of the world that you start flipping your attention to. See if Sky Clark is still a candidate to um, reclassify. But you gotta love uh, after kind of a slower summer. I, I want to say BJ Boston was well committed at this point last year. I want to say you committed last August, so they started off a little slower uh, than years before, but that's probably with the changes on the coaching staff. Uh, but now they're, they're already caught up and probably in an even better spot than they were at this time last year. Yeah, the class, the class of 2020 is really starting to take shape, and you can kind of see 
And yeah, I think you're right as far as there's maybe just that one big heavy hitter that they're looking to add, but I'm extremely excited about Damian Collins. I think I heard some rumblings there, you know, a lot of people, oh, it's just, you know, kind of just another pogo stick under the ramp, typical Calipari player, you know, has some, some raw skills, but, you know, needs development on the offensive end type thing. But I'm excited, man. This is, um, he is, a you know, labeled as a freak athlete, but he even kind of gets a nod above the freak athletes. I mean, this dude is a big time leaper. So I'm excited. I always like having that at Kentucky. I, when I think about Kentucky basketball, that's kind of what I think about. So like a, a, over the past couple of years, we might not have had that, um, you know, extremely high flyer like a Malik Monk or something. So I'm pumped about that. Uh, Bryce Hopkins, I don't know if we had a chance to talk about Bryce Hopkins over the last, um, I guess he committed last week, but that was another one that didn't surprise me. I was um, expecting it to, to happen way sooner than it did, but I think we might have chatted about that a little bit. I'm excited for Bryce Hopkins, too. I think he's the opposite of what I just said. He's kind of a, a little bit of a different mode player coming in with just the way he, like, aggressively scores and kind of his body type. You know, he's not a freak athlete. He's, you know, maybe an okay athlete. So I was really pumped about both of those. And then you mentioned Scott Clark as still a strong reclassification candidate. So, as usual, man, there's going to be so many pieces to move before this thing's said and done, but Kentucky's looking in really good shape. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, I, yeah, I kind of like that Hopkins kind of took his time with it. I, it sounded like right after he committed from Louisville, Louisville in August, uh, he was going to pull the trigger, but mm-hmm. he really weighed his options. I heard both Illinois, his home state school, and uh, the University of Providence uh, got a true uh, look and really were um, options for him, even Indiana a little bit. So, glad he took the time. Uh, especially during this when these kids don't uh, get the, you know, the experience of these official and unofficial campus visits, um, doing it all virtually or going with their families just to walk across campus like I would as just a normal college student. So, um, yeah, I think those were both, obviously, I like Hopkins a lot. Clark, uh, I I mean, it gives me some feel, the fact that he committed this, I mean, if he's really going to stay in 2022, he could have rode this out, you know, until next year because North Mm -hmm. Carolina from – you know, various reports, who knows if it was a smokescreen type of thing or not, but seemed to gain some traction late on him. So if he really uh, was planning on holding out till 2022, it would make me think he'd, you know, take his time making the decision. So mm-hmm. it makes me feel better that he's already made his call that 2021 is a true possibility because I can tell you, unless something goes horribly wrong with this front court this year, uh, with Terrence Clark, BJ Boston, um, you're not going to have those guys back next year. They're one and done. And, you know, Devin Askew might be a guy like Higgins. He stays, but if he is a big year, he could be gone. And you're definitely losing Davion Mintz no matter what happens. Yeah, 100%. And I keep saying class of 2020. Class of 2021, I actually just wrote uh, like a high-level post for a sea of blue. I'll put that on the Cats by 90 page because – it kind of just um, – it's real high level and kind of gives you an idea. Obviously, Kentucky has these two guys – or three guys committed in, in 2021 with Bryce Hopkins, Damian Collins, and then Nolan Hickman. So, just kind of a, a quick, quick rundown of, of 2020, 2021. I know I, Patrick Baldwin Jr., one of the best players left in the class probably. He seems to still be like a, a big Duke lean. Uh, Jaden Hardy might be like one of the best scorers um, in this class. I know he's he's – one of the top-rated combo guards. He, um, I, to my understanding, he's probably either, you know, like an overseas option or potentially a Kentucky. So I know the overseas, like G League, is going to be tugging at him a little bit. Um, so th- there's quite a few players that are left out there. But I'll put that post up. I think it's about six players maybe um, that Kentucky has offers out to still, that Brandon, Poda, something, something. I have trouble saying his name, Tyler Hero's boy. 
Yeah. Um, he's he's one of them too. So there's there's a few guys floating out there. But again, and I put in the article, and I mean we can talk about this all day. But until like you said, we get to that point where Terrence Clark throws his name in the NBA draft or whatever, you know, you'll probably have some some holdouts, and ultimately the roster m- might take a little bit. But it's looking pretty sweet right now. Yeah, you got to like I said. I mean, after a slow start, you got to like uh, where they're at now, um, especially after Collins' commitment and. I think that, you know, now you have Jay Lucas in there for this. It was so important to get him when they did, too, and not, you know, maybe it was something where he waits till after next year or whatever. They were able to go and get him to this role now uh, where he can work on this 2021 class. And like I said, he already – he's the reason why Collins is coming here, I think, from all everything everyone's heard. So, um, yeah, good start, and it's just a start. Uh, then I can't leave out to a huge name on Kentucky's board for 2021 is Hunter Salas. I think that he's probably the likely option to kind of come in and be, like I said, kind of that, that scoring option, another five-star guard, just ready to just a tick behind um, Jaden Hardy. So he's going to be good. Right now he has uh, six predictions in 24-7's crystal ball, all for Kentucky. So he's definitely a big Kentucky lean. He's got some uh, blue blood offers too. So that'd be the name I'd keep an eye on as far as the that recruiting cycle goes. But We'll see how it works out. Some uh, another like uh, indirect stuff, I guess, for recruiting. So today, Kentucky added a new player. So Kareem Watkins, who's the stepson of Dwan Wagner, um, which if anybody has any basic John Calipari history, you know that you know they have their um, their ties together. So most important part of this, Aaron, which I'm sure you know, is probably that. Dewan Wagner's son is like one of the best prospects like in any class. I, I hear nothing but amazing things about him. And I think everybody's under the impression that he's Kentucky's to kind of lose. But now this news today with um, Dewan Wagner's stepson coming to Kentucky, I think has people even more excited that ultimately his son will eventually wear um, Kentucky blue. This was a chess, not checkers move. Yeah. So, <laughs> Harry uh, getting this kid in because look, I mean, it can go two ways, but usually with Kentucky, at least from what we've heard, it goes this way, is that, you know, they come here and they love the experience. They love playing for Coach Cal and his staff, and they just love Lexington, the fan base, and all that. So you bring in this kid who can be the one who has a great experience and tells his uh, – is it you said his cousin, correct? So his cousin – that, hey, this place is magical. Uh, for me, as a walk-on, I loved it. For you as the star of the team, I mean, come on, the attention you're going to get and all that. So, um, yeah, I think this was totally a chess and not checkers move. And, yeah, uh, the family history there at Memphis. Um, and, obviously, he takes the spot of the kid, uh, Isaac DeGorio, who just came in as a walk-on, decided not to mm-hmm. uh, pursue basketball anymore. So, I, I guess you're going to make – if anyone's going to make the most – of a walk-on spot and make it a move that actually means something in the uh, future, it's Cal. Yep. So Kareem Watkins added to Kentucky's roster, obviously going to be, you know, really help him in practice and things. It's actually Dewan Wagner's stepson. So he would be Dewan Wagner Jr.'s stepbrother. Um, So yeah, that kid's ranked number one overall in the class of 2023. His, his um, biological son, Dewan Wagner Jr., his father averaged the most points under any player under Calipari over 20 points a game was obviously one and done pretty much one of the best scorers like ever, essentially. I mean, he was just an amazing player. So that seemed to have carried down. So I know a lot of people um, that are close to basketball recruiting that again, they just absolutely like can't have enough compliments about that kid and his scoring package. So exciting stuff. A um, couple other tickers on basketball. So you, you already briefly said something about Isaiah Jackson really turning heads and kind of that player right now that has all the buzz. 
And I got to be honest, Aaron, a little, little mildish hot take here, but like I don't put stock into all that stuff because if you remember last year, it was Johnny Juzang forever. Forever was Johnny Juzang. And then he got, you know, early in the year, he didn't, none of that played out. So I'm not saying I don't think Isaiah Jackson looks good in practice or that, you know, it's going to carry over to the game. I just feel like we're going to be getting a lot of different um, feedback like that until, you know, people actually see this team play live. Yeah, no, I agree with that. The only reason I feel a little uh, better about the chances of Jackson panning out are that kind of that was kind of the buzz when he first committed that he was kind mm-hmm. of an under the radar guy, um, and of course he's a, a, at a position of need. And at that point in time, you know, who could have known what Olivier, Olivier Sar would even be available, let alone uh, coming to Kentucky? Uh, and Kentucky really, again, at that point in time, didn't have much in their front court other than Lance Ware, I believe, was already committed at that point, and. Lance Ware seems to be a comparable guy to like a uh, four-star. I'm trying to think of a four, like nah, EJ Montgomery is not fair. He was higher rated, but you know what I mean? Just not a guy who's going to be a one and done more like a a role player turns into a bigger guy later. So um, I think that the fact that they were able to get him and probably, I wouldn't say they trusted him or felt confident enough from being the starting center, but they felt, you know, comfortable enough that he was going to be the guy before they got Olivier Sar also speaks some volumes about him. One thing I'll say about the Isaiah Jackson praise is that blocking shots is blocking shots. Typically, that's going to be – I mean, we knew he was a a really long, good athlete. So, that type of skill is kind of just something you have or you don't. I mean, I'm sure you can get a little bit better at blocking shots. But for the most part, that's really like a timing. You either kind of got it and you develop that, you know, young young as a player and carrying over to college. So, that I can see because that's kind of what everybody's saying is that he really can just go up and block a lot of shots. And – Considering the player's shots that he must be blocking, that, that's obviously impressive because more buzz. I mean, B.J. Boston and Terrence Clark are really getting it nationally. I mean, pretty much all the national people. I saw somebody today was kind of comparing B.J. Boston to Malik Monk, at least from like a scoring standpoint while he's at Kentucky. So this year's roster, man, again, they, they have a lot of pieces. And my final take on it is has been the same since the summer until it changes my mind. But they're just going to go as far as those two guys can take them. And if they're the real deal, like, you know, all indications say they are, I think Kentucky's going to be really good. If they're not that good, you know, as, as we're hoping and thinking, then, you know, I think the team will kind of go as they go. Yeah. Oh, no doubt about, no doubt about it. And I think really you look at this roster this year, I think the key is going to be how quick you're able to get these freshmen to get together. You know that eventually Cal Perry always gets it. But, but this team has one – guy returning that played key minutes last year in Keon Brooks. Yeah, it's like, what is it, like 1% of the scoring or 2% yeah. 3% okay. of the scoring? So, I'm with you, man. I think, and we have Rob, uh, Coach Rob Strong, um, Rob Harris on the podcast, the dad podcast recently, the Kentucky's men's basketball strength coach, and he alluded to just that, you know, it's like, hey, it's kind of like the same story. You know, he kind of maybe expects him to struggle a little bit early, but ultimately thinks this team is so athletic and has depth that um, they're going to end up being really good, like always, and, and no one's going to want to play them come March. Yeah, exactly. And we were just talking about this on the Big Blue Insider last night, that, you know, people complain about these early season, you know, easy games, which it sounds like we won't see as many of mm-hmm. this year. But, you know, over the last couple of years, as, you know, Calipari's gone younger and younger, and obviously 15, you kind of throw out the window just with the talent they had. And then the Harrison brothers obviously being as experienced as it gets in the tournament success they had the year before, but, you know, they haven't played great in those non-conference games. We all know what happened against Evansville. Uh, Utah Valley 
two of the last three years they've played them, they've been very close games both times. They were losing by nine at half, if you remember, in the season opener a couple of years ago. And then there are a couple other games that you look at that, that were way closer than one would have expected. I think it was maybe Mount St. Mary's or something like that. It was a six-point game at half. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think that early on in the season – it's, that's going to be the key with this team. They're going to need to grow faster because the games are going to be more important and they're going to be tougher, which means their seeding is going to be more at a risk. And then obviously we've talked a lot about how good the SEC is this year, and that's not always been the case with this conference. But this year, Tennessee looks loaded. Uh, Auburn should be good again like they usually are. Uh, LSU, given that you know all their guys are going to be eligible with all the crap that goes on down there, is going to be a really good team. Arkansas has a great coach and a, a pretty good class coming in. I think they were a top 10 class with Muslimen out there. So uh, they're going to have to figure it out a lot quicker this year. And I think that almost being in this bubble together and kind of just being able to focus on getting to know one another and obviously practicing together, it might help, you know, speed the process up a little bit. And obviously, no, the continuity's not there at all because literally – I mean, yes, Keon has minutes, but no one has literally played in a game together before on this team. Uh, I mean, Dante Allen didn't play last year, so he was teammates with Keon, but there's no minutes together. But I think the bubble thing right now that they're in kind of is going to help. That's a good point, you know, and I'm kind of seeing the same thing with football too as far as not getting those easy games and then what what your opinion of this team kind of is halfway through. But I think that's a good point. My difference with basketball, I guess I kind of – um, like those games, even though they're usually at home, but you know, you're going to get teams like that in the tournament, but that is a good point. And I think historically, I know everyone's going to mention the, the Duke champions class in the game, but early in the season, late in the season, Kentucky usually shows up for big games under Calipari. I mean, when it's, when the lights are on and these five-star guys know it, they usually come out balling. So um, champions classic I saw today. Now we could be going to Lawrence blah. It's my favorite event. I, as long as they play it, that's cool. But, man, I'm just – part of me, Aaron, on basketball, I'm really struggling. Is that, like, I just – until the schedule is finalized, like, I just can't, like, get in the mood as much, I guess, or, like, really start feeling like it's basketball season because I just – I don't even know what the schedule looks like. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I thought by now we'd hear something, especially with Calipari putting out that tweet. I think it was, like, a month ago now. Oh, you're going to put me in a mental hospital for – all these games that I booked, yada, yada, yada. So, I mean, part of it's the pandemic. Obviously, they were banking on, you know, that Orlando bubble, which is probably going to host the Champions Classic and maybe even another event. And it was Kentucky was going to be down there a while. Obviously, that gets called off. Now, the stuff with Indy, was, which was the backup city, I don't know, there's speculation there. But just play Kansas. Who cares where? Flip a coin, play Lexington, play Lawrence. Probably either way, you're not going to have more than 15% of capacity. I know that's rough. is definitely 15%. I don't know what it is at Allen Fieldhouse, but uh, who cares at this point? Just play. I, the better team that day is going to win regardless of what court you're on when there's not many fans in those stands. It's not going to be like the, what was it, 2019 with the Tyler Harrier when they played here at Rupp Arena, and that crowd clearly helped uh, Kentucky win that game in the Big 12 uh, SEC that's just not going to happen with really any game until those pandemic ends. All right, man. Well, unfortunately, we got to talk about some football now, but you already did a little Big Blue Insider drop, so I had this on my list, man. I had to give our boy Billy Rutledge a shout-out for um, hosting Tom Leach today in his absence. I don't know if he normally does that or not, but big props to Billy, man. That was pretty cool when I saw today that he was um, hosting Tom Leach. 
Yeah, I think he's done it. It's definitely a countable amount of times. So good for him getting that spot today. Whatever he does, he's great. He's obviously covered Dick before, uh, even days that I've been out too. So, yeah, he's the man. He's an up-and-comer. Sweet. Good for him. All right, well, let's take a break, and we'll come back, and we'll talk some football. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we are back on the Cats by 90 podcast election night edition. And unfortunately, I said, and I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't be, shouldn't be that negative, but we do have to talk Kentucky football. Um, before we get into the specifics on the field, Aaron, I had a question. So Evan Crane's kind of in charge of, of football media stuff, came on the Kentucky Dad Pos- podcast. If you haven't heard that, please listen. He's awesome. But my question is, Aaron, do you think he's proactively set us next together in the press box? I have to believe he did. Probably, yeah. Evans, the man. he's he's one of the best in the business. He uh, obviously also does women's basketball. He's the main person for that. He's really busy, uh, but he, he does such a great job. He's such a good dude. Yeah, he's awesome. And then I was thinking that I'm like, not only am I sitting next, to, you know, the person that I work with, my podcast co-host, and all that. Um, I'm number 33, and that's my number. You know, I'm Big Blue Drew 33. I have all the 33. So I had a great time, actually, at the football game Saturday for a lot of those reasons. The weather was gorgeous. Um, you know, a top five um, program came in. So I had all the football fields. I obviously didn't go the way that I would have preferred, but I'll just let you start, Aaron. I mean, <laughs> Kentucky loses 14-3 to Georgia. I mean, they only lose by 11 points to Georgia. Historically, you'd be thrilled doing cartwheels, but – just not passing the eye test, painful to watch. So, I don't know, man, just give me your 3,000 million feet up in the air, high-level view of, you know, Kentucky football and, and your thoughts. Yeah, well, this pro you just said it. Years past, you consider it a win, but this program, as Mark Stoops has said several times, and he's right, is far past the moral victory stage. I mean, they had a 10-win season uh, followed by another uh, – excuse me uh, – another bowl game victory season. They've been in bowl games four straight years. This year, they're going to probably make one regardless, but we all know that uh, this year is different with there not being a win requirement. But anyways, yeah. Uh, defense, you got to tip your hat to. Obviously, there was a couple drives. The Actually, I think it was the first drive of each half. Georgia just ran the ball down their throats. And obviously, you don't make excuses, but a large part of that is due to Quentin Bohanna mm-hmm. uh, not being uh, in right now for Kentucky. Obviously, he's banged up. Uh, hopefully, they'll get him back before the season ends. He's, you just see how big of an impact guy he is now after the way Georgia was able to run the ball on, uh, on uh, Saturday. So, that was my big thing. But otherwise, the defense is great. I mean, you get the pick from Calvin Joseph, who's really turned the corner. 
after a first couple uh, rough weeks there. Um, I believe, obviously, the Phil Hoskins interception was not only was it fun because it was a big guy, but it was just such a great heads up play to not only, um, you know, tip it, but stay with it and finish the play, get the pick and all that. Um, then, before we get to the offense, which was, you know, we all know what the offense is right now, terrible, but one play that killed me, and I don't, I'll never understand. Keep in mind, Kentucky right now does not have a special teams coordinator. Dean Hood took the head coaching job at Murray State, and Mark Stoops elected not to hire his brother, Mike Stoops, like some speculated. Instead, uh, he's now a analyst at Alabama, and then just didn't promote anyone on the current staff to that role. Well, you block a kick. Jamin Davis comes up big. He blocks that kick at the end of the half. And nobody, not one person, in about the first three seconds, were you, that's the time to pounce. And Georgia didn't look like they were going after the ball either. Goes for that football. If a defense is back, who has more speed, no offense to Jordan Wright, but Jordan Wright's a bigger guy. He's not going to go blaze down for a touchdown unless the ball is right there and there's way open field ahead of him. No defensive back goes and jumps on that ball. Is that – just stupid part on uh, is that just stupid on the part of the player or is that a lack of coaching for me it's uh, i'd say it's a lot of coaching so that play was a really to me when they didn't scoop that up because if you looked at the field ahead it was open man i mean a db someone quick gets that ball that's a touchdown and kentucky going to the half up 10 to 7 i remember that play yeah you're right and it does man it just thinks to you know look at this team now and just so many mental blunders and just things are scratching your head. And that stuff had really been kind of eliminated over the last few years. And my holistic take, Aaron, is that, like, it's just a shame because this defense has been, like, New Year's Day ball good for, like, several seasons in a row. And, I mean, they're legit every year. I mean, I think the Josh Allen year when um, uh, they won the bowl down in Orlando, I mean, gosh, they gave up, like, 12 points a game or something just insane. So, this the defense is just so there, and it's just such a shame to see the offense just not be able to get anything together. And part of me, Aaron, wants to, to say, dude, in 5, 6, 10, 15 years, we're going to look back on this era and be like, why did you have any complaints? Like, you beat Florida, you beat Tennessee, you won some good bowls, you know, you've won however many games over the last three seasons. So part of me wants to say the recipe works. It's like, don't mess up on offense, control the game on defense, play the field position game. And just hopefully you have enough, you know, that you can outscore the other team. But I think now it's, it's definitive after Saturday and really this season in general that that's not going to work to take the next step in the SECs. I mean, you have to get some guys in here. Like um, the good news, though, um, there are young players on the team like Isaiah Cummings now, Michael Drennan. I mean, there's some guys now that they can start getting a workload to. Next year they got Dakel Crowd is coming. So, Hopefully, I mean, the pieces are there, but one of my biggest questions for you, Ann, I want to see what your thoughts were, were me, now that I've mentioned those younger guys like an Isaiah Cummings and stuff like that, is Kentucky now just playing for next season? I mean, are they, should they just be trying to get these young guys some tick and, and ready for next year? Or is like, you know, this thing's still salvageable and they should just be playing each play to win? Well, look, I mean, that's kind of – there's no benefits of a COVID pandemic, but that's one of the benefits rule-wise at least of this uh, circumstance and that we're still playing is that there's a blanket waiver for everybody. And that doesn't mean you're going to see seniors come back because that's most likely not going to happen. But it does mean uh, these freshmen that typically you're going to hold to the four game limit so they can preserve a red shirt or don't play at all are, are, can play as many games as you want. And you're not going to lose that year on them. So mm-hmm. 
I, I definitely think we saw Michael Jordan, obviously, like you mentioned, he drew the start last Saturday. They didn't get him the ball, but that's not on, probably on the receiver. But I am worried about the – you named the guys that they have, and there are some guys that excite me in that group. But overall, they just don't have that – guy that recruit that everyone was you know standing up and going crazy when they got obviously they were hoping it would be Wandale Robinson and he flipped his commitment mm-hmm. uh, last minute to Nebraska I think he's a guy they really wish they would have got about this time right now especially looking at how well that kid's playing out in Nebraska so um, I'm really worried about the receiver position I am excited uh, you mentioned the Kel Crowdis I'm excited to see his future here um, also Christian Lewis a guy they have committed for next year but there's just this offense is I I guess the best way you can say it's broken I mean it is broken I was gonna go with sucks (laughs) it does suck that's there's no doubt about that one but um it it is broken though I mean think about it Chris Rodriguez and the offensive line are about the only good things that have happened this offense uh, this offense this year the quarterbacks you know of course the easy the easy scapegoats are going to be two guys the quarterbacks, and the offense coordinator. So, Eddie, to me, I can't put more than 30% blame on him. I think that you look at the RPOs, Joey Gatewood did not have any sense of where to go with the RPOs last week. I don't know if you remember, it was a second down and 10 on the drive that Kentucky ended up settling for the Ruffalo field goal. And Gatewood on an RPO has Justin Rigg, 10 yards down the field with no nothing but green grass ahead of him. He, he was standing at about the 15-yard line, so it's a walk-in touchdown. He's standing there with his hands up begging Gatewood to throw it to him, and instead Gatewood tucks it and ends up getting stopped for a two-yard loss. Those are the plays that are killing them. So that means that Grand drew up the right play. It was there. The quarterback didn't execute. I mean, that's what frustrates me with the whole fire Eddie Grand crowd because, you know, as great of a player Lynn Bowden was, Kentucky doesn't do what they do, did last year offensively without what um, – I saw your tweet. That's funny. Without, <laughs> but without um, the play calling that Eddie Grand did. And I'm not trying to say Eddie Grand's the world-class offense coordinator uh, that someone else calling the plays couldn't do a little better uh, right now. But it's just – it's hard to blame it when you see a lack of execution there. And then, you know, A.J. Rose, who another guy the fans love to hate right now, I think it's in part because Chris Rodriguez has been so good. And I know that, you know, the, every game this year, Rose has been the first running back out. But we, the numbers are there now. Uh, Chris Rodriguez is their starter. He has played a lot more as he should be because he's playing a lot better right now. Um, but – they're not, in my opinion, that's one that's on grand. They're not using Rose the way you want. Rose is not a guy who runs it up the middle and pounds it like a rock like Chris Rodriguez does, and they're running it up the middle with A.J. Rose. You want to get A.J. Rose in space. You want to throw him on a screen pass. You want to throw it to him, you know, on an out route. You don't want to just run it up the middle with him. So I think there's some misusage there. It's hard to blame A.J. Obviously, the fumbles are on him, but other than that, that's on grand. So I think it's just, there's so many issues with the offense. It does come down to the quarterback and the offense coordinator, but also from the receiver standpoint, who do these quarterbacks trust? Mm-hmm. Other than Josh Ali. Who does, yeah, up. and that, that goes for Eddie Grant too. Yeah. And who does Eddie Grant, who does Eddie Grant call to call a shot downfield to? And Josh Ali's been, I mean, the numbers show he's been really good because he has a lot of, he has the most catches on the team by almost triple the amount maybe even more so than the next guy. And, you know, Akeem Hayes, who hasn't played in weeks because he was dumb on Twitter, 
is still, I think, tied for second on the team in receiving. Wow. Through the issues. But besides the point, Ali's had two terrible fumbles. So who the hell do you trust? And that part is not, you know, they're saying, take a shot, take a shot. Well, is the guy downfield going to catch that shot? I'm not going to. There's something to be said, man, about players just got to go out there and make plays. And, and this isn't a knock on either player um, when I say this, Aaron, but I, I don't know what you get differently with Joey Gatewood than you did Terry Wilson. To me, it's like kind of almost like a clone. I'm, I'm sure there are differences. I haven't had a chance to see him. I know Gate was supposed to have the big arm, but I thought he looked a little stiff on Saturday, which, I mean, you can't blame him. You're getting your first start against Georgia, but really like pre-snap, I just thought he looked kind of stiff, like his legs, his arms. And you mentioned just him kind of struggling to, to go through his RPO progressions, though. But I just don't, you know, as far as Gatewood stepping in, I really do feel like it's like the same. Um, did, was there, has there been any Terry Wilson injury news this week? I know he's got an extra week to get healthy. Yeah, we're, I think we hear from Mark Stoops tomorrow. Uh, I think that's the one day he's meeting media uh, this week uh, via Zoom. will be tomorrow, so maybe we'll learn more there. But, you know, man, I wouldn't be surprised. I – I've been saying it all year, especially with these four games left, and you're right. At this point, uh, you want to go try to win. There's no doubt about it. You have Vanderbilt, who if you don't win, Jesus. Um, and then you have South Carolina. Um, that is kind of a toss-up game at this point. But then you have Alabama and Florida, you're going to get killed. So I want to see Terry get in there and at least get a start two more because he's made it very clear this is it. Um, for his career, regardless of how it ends with a baby. And, you know, he's a senior, he's just done. But from what I was hearing, at least the vibe I got from Mark Stoops after Saturday's um, loss was that uh, I think Joe Gatewood's going to be the guy the rest of the way. Yeah, it's kind of, that's kind of the, the route I'm going. And, again, I was kind of just talking about what I just said. I mean, how much of this season, you know, is going to kind of gravitate towards, hey, let's get some guys some run, get some guys some confidence. And just back to Saturday against Georgia, I mean, again, so easy to, to, to literally Monday morning quarterback them or Tuesday night quarterback them. But, I mean, what if we're sitting here and Joey Gatewood throws three interceptions and, you know, Georgia wins 31-0? So, I mean, I think there is something to be said about – managing the game in that aspect. But I know from a Kentucky fan standpoint, um, they're just feeling like the, the team's constantly playing not to lose as opposed to win, especially against a team like Georgia. Um, the only good news coming off a bye are going to get a bye this week. So give the Cats a chance to get healthy. And then you have like the weakest team in the SEC. I think they're last in the SEC on offense and defense. So if we're sitting here in two weeks, Aaron, and the Cats can't just absolutely throttle Vanderbilt and look good on both sides of the ball – then there's going to be some real tough off-season questions here. I think they're going to have a lot of um, lot of things to to button up if if they can't at least blow out Vandy. Yeah, man, Vandy. I mean, <laughs> they have years where they're pretty good, but this is not one of them. They look worse than usual, and they've lost a bunch of guys that actually were pretty good for them. So, yeah, they got they have to handle them. Obviously, that game is also here in Lexington. You really have to just. I mean, even if you don't blow them out, just play really well. I mean, win by two-plus possessions. That's all that matters is you play well and you get the win. I mean, I don't think they absolutely have to throttle them. But for me, the key is for these last four games to be a success and to avoid, you know, sweeping changes or at least the rumors of sweeping changes uh, going into the offseason, it would be, one, you definitely beat Vandy – and you probably need to beat South Carolina too. 
and you at least show up and play respectable football against Alabama and Florida. And I'm not saying win those games or even come, you know, Florida, you probably want to at least pull within 14, uh, that 14 range like they did with Georgia here uh, in Missouri. But with Alabama, you know, that game's a crapshoot. But just play respectable, play like a team that looks like they belong in the SEC and that they can compete in the SEC. Um, I think that if you finish four and six with those two games going okay that you're going to lose, I think you could kind of just say, you know what, 10-game SEC schedule, quarterbacks didn't play well. Um, You know, we move on. We go into next year with more uh, experience at the quarterback position, though – very concerned about the offensive line for next year. But anyway, uh, but if you go out there and lay a dud, if you lose to Vanderbilt, gosh, but assume, say they beat Vanderbilt, the game's not great, they win it or they lose it. Uh, they lose to South Carolina and they just don't look look good at all against Florida or Alabama. Then, you know, you go two and eight, three and seven. Yeah, then you have to reassess where are we as a program or where, where we thought we were, which is – coming towards the SEC East title where we think we can compete year in and year out with Florida and Georgia. And um, the other so one. much of it to me, Aaron, is the eye test. Like 10 I SEC game schedule is just – it was going to be brutal. I said it like game – like week two. How many programs in the SEC are going to finish this 10-game schedule and be like, damn, I'm, I'm really pleased with this season? Maybe two. Um, it's just not going to be a ton of opportunity for – fan bases, I guess, to feel good about it. So, again, to me, a lot of it's just the eye test. I mean, can't expect Kentucky to go 7-3, 8-2. So, they just got to look a little bit better, um, you know, doing what they're doing. Okay, I saw Adam Luckett from Kentucky Sports Radio. I wrote this down um, today. But I really hope this isn't true. If I interpreted it right, basically he was saying that in 46 games, Kentucky hasn't had a 300-yard passer. Is that – could that possibly be possible? How many games? 46 Wow. So that's, gosh, I guess. Hold on, let me pull it up. He, he had it on there, but I'm like, I think I read it three times and I'm like, oh my, this cannot, this cannot be real life. There. Terry Wilson hasn't gotten there. I think the closest, his best game, game yardage wise was either the Louisville game in 18, which he obviously got pulled early because it was over or the Auburn game at the beginning of this year, he was at like 239, but that makes sense. And then 46, I don't know if that, Puts you in Steven Johnson range? I would think it was. Yeah, that, I'm trying to find a tweet. Yeah, it was. I believe Steven Johnson was referenced. So that to me, that just cannot. I mean, that is just unfreaking believable, man. Yeah, that's not good. But that's an, I'm telling you, that's an indictment on the lack of receivers they've had. And I mean, look, obviously, Terry Wilson's a winner. Uh, we can definitely also look at the 2018 Kentucky team and say the strength was the pass rush and the run game. Um, and it wasn't necessarily great quarterback play that year. Um, we could look at last year and absolutely say the passing game almost had no effect on their ability to win a, a win the way they did last year. So they they really in the Stoops era, what have they been good throwing the ball? I mean, mm-hmm. I guess Luke Barker at times was able to sling it. Not really. I mean, <laughs> other than Gary Juice Johnson and Jeff Bidette, who were other than, and I guess you could throw Lynn Bowden in the mix there, but. Who are guys at receiver that made you excited when they had the ball in their hands? There just haven't been many in the Stoops era, and that is concerning. And they've also – I think they're on their fourth or fifth wide receiver coach of the Stoops era. Um, obviously, have a new one this year, and that's the one position that this year has proven to us is holding them back as a program. 
Yeah, I know. And it, I think Luck had another good piece or something about just essentially, you know, how this coaching staff has really avoided that just absolutely disaster year and kind of kept everyone engaged and stuff, you know, and then have mixed in, you know, some amazing seasons. But now it's got the feeling that, that this could be that kind of disaster and they'll have to roll into 2021 with um with some more momentum. But just so many good young players on both sides of the ball that I think they'll be fine. They, they got to figure some stuff out on offense. But this season seemingly is going to force that. It isn't anymore like what's your philosophy – I think after this season, if if things don't drastically improve, I mean, a new offensive scheme is going to be just mandatory, basically. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Yeah, I'm just so curious about the future of this program. I don't know about you, man. This whole year, I don't want to read too much into it with the 10-game schedule and the COVID pandemic and the lack of preseason. But the the fact this group is so veteran-led – and they're still just not playing great football, uh, especially on offense. And the, the receivers are so just not as good as – I mean, we. I mean, they were never that great at receiver, but this year is proving they're simply just not on the SEC level at receiver. And also tight end, you could probably make the same argument. I, I'm just concerned that, you know, they had two great years, but how much of that was just the star talent that they had on those two teams? Is this something that's really going anywhere? And if it's not going anywhere, what's that mean for Mark Stoops? No matter what, Mark Stoops' legacy in Lexington cemented, right? I mean, he wins the two bowl games, the 10-win season uh, that's only been done here four times, and I think two of those were back in the Bear Bryant era. Um, his legacy cemented here. For him, will it be – then we were, we've were we already seen money's been thrown at him. Florida State definitely was in on him. Other jobs are going to open up. I think Texas might open up at the end of this year where his brother was obviously in the Big 12 for years in Oklahoma. Will Stoops one day say, hey, I think I've taken Kentucky as far as I can get Kentucky and then decide to leave. So there's just – this year is really concerning on a lot of levels. But these last four games are not necessarily – obviously two of them are important to get in the win column, but – not even to finish – you're not going to finish five and five. You're not going to even finish six – they're definitely not finishing six and four. They're not pointing out. Let's just put it that way. Um, yeah, I think, right, I think right, uh, you're right, Aaron. Mark, Mark Stoops is um, – right now he's a victim of recency. Like everyone's just thinking about the Georgia game again. They're not digesting his kind of like culminating career. But, I mean, that's coaching, man. He's got to get it done right now. But I agree with you. I think the overall legacy – I mean, anybody that's – you know, has any – you know, big beef with Mark Stoops kind of needs to check themselves and, and let this season play out and stuff. But man, how a lot of so so much stuff going on, man. Speaking about looking back one day, we're gonna look back one day at um, November third, two thousand twenty, and man, just kind of remember how we felt and think everybody kind of feels like the weight of the world's on their shoulders. So hopefully tonight's a good step forward. And um, we can kind of start rolling into 2021 with maybe a vaccine and all that. But, man, I enjoyed this one, Aaron. I am skipping the Vandy game in a couple weeks. I'm going to spend some time with the family. So, hopefully, I will see you um, maybe a few weeks after that. Yeah, man, that sounds good. And remember, uh, don't tweet anything that's going to get you fired tomorrow. Amen. All right, man. Well, good stuff, and we will talk soon.